0: Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you all here. Um, Like I said, uh, well, now I said, like Micah said, uh, Brendan is very ill. I found out at 4 a.m. this morning that I might not make it. At 5 a.m. it was confirmed, and Roger went into panic mode. Um getting ready for this morning. But um, the passage is so exciting, it's really hard to, to hurt it too much. Um, so I thought maybe we'd begin by just kind of a review of Hebrews so far, right? And one of the things that we've kind of been looking at is the preeminence and the supremacy of who Jesus is. More than what you get in any sort of advertisement or some sort of cultural understanding, he becomes everything. We also understand that by knowing him, we are initiated into the new covenant. And this new covenant is something that frees us. It's something that allows us to understand that the power isn't about us and trying to follow the law and trying to do all these things correct. It's based on his grace and the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside us. We've examined the warnings of unbelief and falling away and how serious that is and how we have a responsibility to guard that and to make sure that we are growing in the faith, asking the right questions and not being dependent on anyone else but him and the word of God. And we understand that, we understand it? We understood the significance of Jesus being the high priest, not just some human, some fallible human, that Jesus being the high priest is like... The most important thing, he understands us, and he could pay the ultimate sacrifice once and for all, not something that had to happen on a regular basis. We've studied and we've looked at what faith is and then how it's manifested. So before we begin this morning, I kind of want us to ask the question, you know, what does it mean to be a mature Christian, or maybe more specifically, what does it mean to be mature in our faith? Now we can kind of look around, we can kind of say, well, you know what? There might be some misconceptions in this area. Or at least that's what I found, right? So first thing is, just because you're a mature person doesn't mean you're a mature Christian. You may show that you can persevere, you may show that you can stand and do all this kind of stuff, but inside there's no faith. There's nothing that really activates that. You're no different than any other strong kind of person. And then there's those that think being a mature Christian is people who can memorize and cite biblical verses and know where the Bible is and what it's talking about. Having worked in the university system for several years and having several friends that are professors who are non-believers, they know the Bible. Some of them know it better than me in certain areas, but they don't get it. It doesn't connect. That doesn't make them a mature Christian or a mature person in their faith. Last one is they don't sin very often. I like this one, you know. I'm kind of, I'm just kind of a good person. Joel Berger put this so well. He described those types of people as people who have grade A flesh. This idea that, you know, because you're a good person, somehow that makes you a mature Christian. You know what makes a mature Christian? I'm, I'm not supposed to get into this yet, but I'm gonna, it's someone that can recognize what's going on in their vulnerabilities and how they struggle, and they turn to Christ powerless, and they look to him for the answer, and they trust him in the midst of doubts, and they trust him in the midst of suffering, and they keep walking forward. You know, when we see the result of maturity, many times we can measure it against the Great Commission, right? And Matthew has the Great Commission in chapter 28, beginning in 19 and going on through 20. It reads, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The passion by which we take on the Great Commission, shows the transformation that has happened within our life and the seriousness and the meaning of it. Do we not know or do we not believe that Jesus is really the answer? He is the way, the truth, and the life. I don't know about you, but I have been stricken by the news coming out of Israel in the Gaza Strip. We know the answer, don't we? and someone has to present it to them. People murdering, hurting, torturing, terrorizing in the name of God. And people actually confuse that with our message of who Jesus is. And it's not even close. It's not there. And if you're listening online and you're kind of seeing this and you need more help with that, we'd love to answer some questions for you. If you're sitting here and you're wondering about that. We'd like to answer some questions for you. But the passion in which we see our world and Jesus being the answer to the conflicts and the confusion and the trouble in people's lives, that has a lot to say with our maturity in Christ. So we kind of look at chapter 11, right? And the faith chapter, the great you know, hallmark of faith Abel had faith when he brought God a better offering. And it really wasn't so much to do with the offering, it had to do with the faith in which he brought it. Enoch had faith and he didn't experience death. Noah had faith in the unseen and built an ark in the midst of people that were laughing at him in his community and in his culture. Abraham had faith when he went to sacrifice Isaac and he said, God will provide the sacrifice. He knew God was good. Isaac had faith and blessed blessed Jacob and Esau. We're going to talk about Esau a little bit next week. Joseph had faith that God would deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses' parents had faith to hide their son during the time of Pharaoh's order to kill firstborn firstborn boys and place infant Moses afloat on the Nile River. I can only imagine what it would be like putting an infant in a river alone to float down hoping someone would find him. Moses had faith not to associate associate himself with royalty. You know, he, he looked at the rights of being in royalty and he gave it up, especially when he could identify with who he really was. And the God that his people really represented, the chosen. The Israelites had faith when they passed through the Red Sea. Now, that may be something that we've kind of learned and we've heard it so many times, we've habituated to um, almost like a storybook account. But if you think about it, nowhere to go, an army coming after you to massacre you. And God says, walk through the sea. And when he opens up the sea, I don't know if you've ever walked on um, wet um, lands that have just recently kind of evaporated. You squash down in. But God doesn't do that. He makes it hard like a road. And as they're going across, the army starts coming. That's faith. Imagine how high that water is up around you and walking through that. That's faith. Rahab, the prostitute, had faith and her life was spared when she gave um, homage to the spies. And she came in and took them and she took faith that they were who they were and God was who he was. So we understand that it's not just these people who are incredibly, um, incredible examples of faith. The faith cycle is something that we are all a part of. And as we enter into this passage today, I want you to think of yourself as a part of Hebrews 11 and how much you will allow yourself to be noted as one of those people of faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for um, this passage and the challenges it provides, Father, for the things we don't really like, the experiences in life that become hard and trying. And Father, I just uh, really want to ask that we can take our faith seriously and we can push towards maturity. Father, I also want to lift up the people in Israel and the Gaza Strip, Father, and um, just for the horror, for the, the children that will never come home, for the spouses that are lost, for the family members who are gone. And just the terror and the horror that they have gone through. And our brothers and sisters who have experienced it too, Father, I pray that the special sense of your spirit would be there, but maybe more importantly, the message of your love and your cross can be permeated in that culture through those you call to present it. We pray that you'd strengthen those people, Father, and that we as a church would stand together to present that as well, Father, that this light would be a very present light in the midst of this darkness. Like I said, Father, I just pray that you speak to us in this passage and that you can challenge us. You know where we all are. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've talked about Hebrews 11. We've talked about all the people of faith, these incredible people that did great things. And I was thinking about it, and I've often shared about different people in my life who have been models of faith, people who have challenged me or people who I watched endure and persevere in Light of the purpose of what they were called to in Christ So I was thinking about even more people and I had numerous people that never even knew that they were part of that witness list And it was fun to think about you many of you have been those people and As more I opened my eyes. I was seeing this is a great encouragement This is something we should be doing when we think, when we are around each other. And Hebrews 12 1 aptly goes on to say, therefore, since we've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You know, when we look to those examples of faith, people who have stood through the tough times and they kept their eyes on Jesus. It's amazing. You know, many times people will look at that and they'll say, you know, this great cloud of witnesses, like you have all these people from the past are looking over you and going, ooh, you really messed up. That's not what it's talking about. <laughs> this is a type of witness to us. This is the type of testimony about how God works to us. So the author illustrates then our growth is running a race. In the second... Um, in the second part of verse 1, and then into verse 2. And let us run with perseverance the race marked for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. You know, I often use that verse, Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, because he is the one that makes it happen. He is the source. He warns us also of the obstacles that can affect our walk and tells us to throw it off. Don't try to work it out, don't try to understand it, get rid of it, throw it off. And get rid of the sin that so easily entangles, putting our desires over God's direction. Now when we look at that, taking the weight off, it's not necessarily sin, that's how some people see it. Sometimes it could be other things, right? Things like people you hang with, people that influence you. How about distractions like hobbies, career, sports, material things and money. Things that we are caught into that we have to pursue and literally robs our time out of our walk. Indulging or prioritizing in fleshly desires and not putting them in perspective. Then we have sin. I like this because it says sin that so easily entangles us. We have to understand that it can easily entangle us, so we have to be careful. When I was a kid, I used to fish. And uh, I'd always tangle my line. And it took a little while to learn that I had to make sure that the line didn't get all together to keep it from tangling. Otherwise, it was almost impossible to get out of. It's so easy for that to happen. And that's what sin does. It entangles us. Sin can simply sneak up on us when we're not looking. And when we know we're obsessed with sin, or we are habituated, or been brought into a habit of sinning, we understand that affects our witness. It doesn't kick out us, kick us out, Uh kick us out from the family of salvation, but it definitely affects how people see Jesus and what's going on with them. And when we're not willing to submit our will to God's will, we are simply saying that we know best. And that comes to the question of death to self, doesn't it? It's the toughest thing believers have to do. Dying to ourselves, trusting him, letting his power work in us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may not be from ourselves, but through him. We compare Hebrews 12 to Philippians 3, we we get some pretty interesting viewpoints from the Apostle Paul. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. Very important model. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I like this because the Apostle Paul said, lets us understand that this is a process. It's not something we just walk into. Not that I have already obtained it. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but we press on, we persevere. Continuing on, verse 2 and 3, Hebrews 12, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning a shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Don't focus your eyes on what's going on around you. Real faith has to do with the unseen work that's going on around you. If we had no confidence that there was a spiritual realm around us where there was good and evil fighting and that we had the person sitting on the right hand of God, we'd have no hope. But we have that hope because we know what's really going on. Do we hurt? Yeah. Does it require discipline? You betcha. But we will not grow weary and we will not lose heart. So, what this passage is telling us is we need to persevere in our faith as we run towards our goal and our reward. And the, the point of this passage says keep your eyes, your perspective, your viewpoint on Jesus, because it is Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith. He suffered, but he received joy by his focus in doing the will of God, his Father and the purposes by which he was called. So this should actually encourage us, right? We don't lose heart, because we are all in the process of growing. We haven't gotten there yet. But together, side by side, we strive for it. Hebrews 12:4 continues, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone who he accepts as his son. Struggling in sin to the point of bloodshed can be really misunderstood. Really fast, right? So when we're talking about this, he's not talking about, you know, we have, to, we have to have blood on us and we have to beat our bodies and all that kind of thing, like someone that might take it in a literal sense. Well, he's saying is standing against a world, a culture, to the point of bloodshed, to the point where we sacrifice ourselves. This world that's in rebellion against God, those who would persecute, and hardships that we experience resulting from a fallen world. We don't resist to the point of blood. We don't get out of our comfort zone. So he goes into Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 to transition over to God's discipline. My son, do not make light the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord discipline the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Try to understand that persecution, trials, and our own discipline are designed to make us stronger if we stand. 1 Corinthians 9 is shown in comparison to Hebrews 12, Um, It says, do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do this to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You know, I don't know about you, but um, when I get ready for a sporting event... Okay, you're not going to buy that. Um, LAUGHTER When I'm working for something, I have to prepare for it, right? I have to make sure it might be sleep. I used to do, (laughs) you'll never believe this, I used to do um, wilderness camps for young people. And we'd hike like 20 miles and we'd have to lift things, rock climb, and do all this fun stuff. Man, I'd be running, I'd be running trying to get prepared for it and everything else. If I didn't, I'd be in trouble. I couldn't lead it. There's no way. They'd be carrying me. So, what he's saying is endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters of God. Now, persecution and hardship is God refining us then to maturity. If it's not happening, I want to share with you that that's a problem. If you're not enduring this, if your faith is not growing and you're just comfortable to to reach this far on the spectrum, you're in danger. You need to see everything going on around you as part of the work and will of God. We all will face opposition from the world if we're standing on the truth. We had a discussion just after the first service about someone um, discussing the concept of relevance. And the person used the term relevance to be conformity to the world. I see relevance as our ability to address the world and being able to stand on the word in terms of what Jesus does for a world that's in chaos. That's why we're lights to the world, right? That's what maturity does. Rather than illegitimate children, which would mean they lost their inheritance rights. This would be a comparison to slavery, people that were slaves. Um, They may be part of the family, but they didn't have the inheritance rights. We are legitimate children. Ephesians 1 talks about it quite clearly. He has adopted us as sons and daughters of God. And he's gonna make sure that we stay on path. And we have to submit our will to him and we have to discipline that will towards him so discipline from God is something that's evidence of sonship. We all share in it. There's only one other misunderstanding here is the belief that God is causing you the hardships. God took the loved one or, or took the thing that meant so much to you. That's not true. But he can provide purpose through those times. He can provide purpose through the diagnosis He can find purpose through the person that is lost. He can find purpose through the suffering, and he can find purpose through trauma. And this simply means that God specializes in hard times. He knows what they're about, and he can give us purpose through them. Hebrews 12, endure hardship as discipline. That is what the discipline is. It isn't God coming around trying to chase you down. The hardship we experience disciplines our faith to have faith in the unseen work that's going on around us. Remember? Faith is the confidence of things hoped for, the belief in things unseen. James 1 puts it this way. Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. What is the context in this latter part of this verse? The wisdom is what he provides for us when we're enduring trials and tough times and suffering. And that wisdom has to do with the path Jesus took before us to the cross, it has to do with endurance. And knowledge and knowing that He's with us in all of this. Hebrews 12 9 continues Moreover, we have had human fathers who dis- disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a while, well, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our own good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, this is where some things may be a little difficult to kind of understand, because many of you may have had abusive fathers or parental figures, and so you have associated this discipline with maybe displacement of anger or abuse or people that were just mad and they were trying to make you suffer for what they were mad about. And we have to kind of untangle that, don't we? Because God doesn't do that. That's not what this is all about. His purposes are all good so that we can be strong, lacking, in nothing, like James says. God disciplines us. The scripture says here for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Being set apart by him, for him, in him. So, in that, we've understood that the good times, maybe our parents disciplined us, you know, we see back, we look back on our life, and we go, wow, I see where that really paid off. I see where that's really good. At one time, I was interviewing a 13 year old family, and we were doing it for a conference. So we had this whole conference out, and I was doing kind of like a mini family therapy with them, and they were talking about the discipline they had struggled with. Excuse me, my little ear is falling. Uh, sorry about that. They were talking about the fa- the family struggles they had, and the 13-year-old said, after they had talked about the different struggles they'd had with them, he goes, "You know." I think all having to do it all over again and them making me do it right is starting to pay off. Isn't that cool how we can look back on our lives and the discipline from our parents, we kind of see, yeah, that was necessary. I personally think Satan totally contrived the idea that at the very beginning of checkout lines in grocery stores is candy. I don't know how long or how often I try to to manipulate that sucker. Oh, come on, please, please, please. Mom, what do I say? No, 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 no. Not that they couldn't afford it, it wasn't good for me. And many times I'm still able to pass (laughs) the front of the checkouts (laughs) um, and avoid candy, all right? Boy, when you're facing hard times, you're being refined and get to share in His holiness. And that is amazing, I think. We have a relationship, we have a presence, and we have a purpose. You may not be happy or feel good as you are disciplined. However, you can experience joy knowing that there is a future holiness that God is preparing for you in you. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power may not be of ourselves, but through him. We compare Hebrews 12 now to Philippians 3, and Paul puts it this way when he's talking about what he wants, what his motivation is. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection of the dead. That was the final mark for Jesus, wasn't it? The resurrection of the dead and... My little message on the ascension was important. <laughs> but I mean, in terms of what he went through, the victory was the resurrection. And that's where we look towards. We look towards that horizon, the resurrection. Hebrews 12:12 12, 12 says, Therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Now, this is a little contention I have with Brendan. This is my verse for next week, but he threw it in there. And uh, (laughs) it's so important. It shows the purpose of all this, that that we can serve with strength, that we can fulfill mission, that we can stand through tough times and not wobble. He says, stay on level ground and strengthen your faith. Don't take the inconsistent path or the unstable path and walk by faith on the consistent and stable truth. We become mature in our faith by listening, following, and being passionate about the Great Commission, right? We become mature in our faith by being encouraged by those who put their faith in the unseen and were delivered, the witnesses and being a witness ourselves, We become mature in, the, in our faith by running a race and being aware of flesh patterns and how easily we can fall into them and not letting them slow us down. We resist lifestyles and influences that can distract us or put us off track. We don't lose heart. We may get discouraged, but we don't lose heart. We don't lose purpose. When we're facing persecution, tribulations, hard times, bad situations, instead we look to Him and we find encouragement. We're doing the right thing. Instead, we look to one another and we listen to the encouragement to each other, knowing that we're on the right track. We listen to the Word of God. We become mature in our faith when we know that God uses persecution hardships to discipline and strengthen us when we're able to persevere. And this is similar, but there is one extra element to it, that there is no way to grow except through this process. We know that God grows us through hard times and we'll become stronger in our faith because of them. And I'm hoping that gives you a sense of encouragement, a sense of maybe an exhortation that if you're suffering this morning, you're on the right track. If your eyes are focused on him, you're on the right track. If you're focusing on what's going on in your life and you're not seeing him, look towards the witnesses around you. Gather strength, gather some encouragement. You're not in this alone at all. Some of the biggest witnesses of faith are the people who I treat in my counseling practice. You see them hold on. You see them keep persevering and they they keep looking. They don't look to me. They look to him. Amazing people. Amazing. Um, I hope you've taken some encouragement from this passage this morning. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for Your love for us, Father, for for paving the way through your example to benefiting from tough times and persecution, knowing that your Father, that you could trust in, you could say, not my will, but your will be done. And Lord, I thank you so much that you're working within us, that, that we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, that it is transforming us. Father, I just pray that we can stand, that we can serve, Father, I praise you for your word. And Father, how when we look at our world, we know that you are the answer. Father, help us aptly, aptly demonstrate that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.